In May, I was in Melbourne and fortunate enough to visit a major new contemporary arts incubator called Collingwood Yards, a veritable melting pot of community creativity, a place that exudes openness and dynamism with every step. And today on the Free Thinking Podcast, I am overjoyed to welcome Sophie Travers, CEO of Collingwood Yards, who is going to tell us all about it. Hello, Sophie. Well, Sophie, thank you so much for joining me live from Melbourne, from Collingwood Yards. It's lovely to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for speaking with me. I'm thrilled to have a conversation. Very good. No, I had well, I had a I had a lovely afternoon with you where you kindly showed me around Collingwood Yards. And what I loved about it was you were clearing up after a big event. There was, I think there was a market that was being taken down. There were open studios that were tidying up after a big evening. And it had a wonderful energy to it. And I wondered if you could tell us a bit about what it would like be like to wander through Collingwood Yards at the yeah, on the best of afternoons. Could you paint a picture for us? Sure, yes. So we're very much uh, a community of tenants here and we very much work with the ebb and flow of the energies of our tenants. So on a good day, you'll find everybody is doing something in their tenancies, which we love. So that's a combination of galleries, uh, creative retail, offices and artist studios we've also got a few um i've got a cafe and a couple of bars so let's assume that all of them are busy and active inside their various spaces and that's spread across three buildings um joined by a big leafy courtyard space um and that's the place where we come together and program and work collectively so there's a number of events that happen regularly, like the markets that you mentioned, that are programmed once a month by one of our tenants, Staysoft Studios. And they also run um, a co-working space and through that have a huge community of people who come in and out of the yards um, in the stu- their studios. And then through their networks, they reach out to this community of makers who run the, the makers market once a month. Um, So let's assume that the courtyard is busy with the market and that brings all manner of people because they offer um, a deal to our tenants to take out a a stand at the market as well. So you would have a combination of some of those other makers that are based here on site and then the ones who are in and around in this community in the inner north in Melbourne and then the community that's associated with Staysoft. They're all um, of a younger generation, a lot of sort of media and sound artists, but also a lot of craft um, and the usual musicians playing live, a bit of food and drink, people, dogs and babies and prams and, you know, um, the general kind of inner city uh, hubbub that one finds. And I saw that was you were projecting too into the courtyard, weren't you? That there was you, you have big surfaces and possibly and open up the doors and project from the first floor. That that felt very I love that. Yes, that's Centre for Projection Art, one of our dear tenants. They're a tiny little organization, but their impact is enormous. So they their mission is to work with artists, all sorts of artists, and in the medium of projection. 
and they regularly collaborate with other tenants, but also with a lot of communities in and around Collingwood, uh, often in festivals. So they worked with Midsummer Big Queer Arts Festival. They did a, a, a sort of precinct-wide activation where they used, I think, six or seven surfaces. They also um, work with festivals like uh, Fashion Melbourne Fashion Festival. They commissioned new work for some really amazing artists that spoke to the diversity in the um, fashion uh, event that we had here. And then they'll, yes, just regularly, um, Hope Street Radio, our, our bar that also has an internet radio station within it, um, have commissioned them on occasion to, to create new work just for a regular night here. So you might just come down for a drink and the fires will be going if it's winter and there'll be some extraordinary work being projected um, on three or four of the surfaces around the space. Yeah. I mean, I, I so love the, the richness of what you're talking about and the fact that there's this great big collaborative endeavour going on. That It felt like everybody's helping each other out and stepping forward together. And I know that's that's ever so hard to do. And I, I'm interested, how, how did this begin? Because it's all very well to look at it now as this thing that um, yeah has this lovely rhythm about it. And I saw lots of people stepping forward and smiling and talking about the wonderful evening that they'd had before and how, you know, whether it was bouncing from the radio station to the you know, different arts groups, to the market, to the projections. But how did it begin? Where, where did you start? What was there before? Yeah, so the, the space has always had a creative life to it. It was a technical college uh, in its first iteration um, last century. And um, that was a real, really interesting legacy of making. That was um, craft, um, but really in that community uh, context of, of further education and employment. And then it stood empty for a while. And then our state government, uh, Creative Victoria, the the arts funding arm of the state government um, decided uh, with great vision, I think, to make it a, an affordable maker space again and to have that community connection and very generously gifted the space to us as an, a very small not-for-profit on that premise that we would operate as an affordable space for, for creative activity. And I think all credit to the founding director, Marcus Westbury, and the founding chair, Daniel Beeson, because I think they very early on set a very high bar for selecting tenants. So I really feel like we've we've got some amazing people involved in this shaping of the community and that they've really played that very active role in setting that tone. It's been very uh, artist-led, very tenant-led. It's, it's not... It's not like other spaces in Melbourne in that respect, in that there's not a prior uh, blueprint for exactly what we have to be or who we need to service. It's been a, a process of discovery um, led by the tenants and with that permission to be something different, to let it let it find its its character and its its nature as we go along with all those many voices in the mix. Um, so we're still, we're really still figuring that out. And of course, the pandemic has really put a spanner in the the pace that, but we stayed very true to that vision of 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 being led by by the community of of creatives that are here. Yeah, and that that I find that really interesting that you there wasn't that blueprint, but there was that very 
what did you say? There was a very active tone, but there wasn't a blueprint. And I think I know with you know, projects like yours, that relationship between the top down curation and the bottom up facilitation is, is often a well, it's it's a daily it's daily practice, isn't it? And it is not it's often very hard to write that down because as soon as you do, it then starts to really constrain it. But also, if you don't put some elastic guidelines in place, it starts to fall to pieces. How do you manage that that balance? Oh, I can't say I've got a science for that. It's definitely an art, and I definitely stand on the shoulders of giants in terms of trying to interpret that as we go along. Um, I think there's a there's definitely something in making good choices about people and relationships to guide you and then putting a lot of trust into those good people and a lot of space into the conversation so that great things can emerge rather than be kind of forcefully extruded. So I think we're we're sort of right in the thick of that where we're, we've, we've made some great choices. We've set a good framework and now we're letting it uh, emerge from and be what it it wants to be. I really think the the really intense pandemic that we had in Melbourne with that sort of two years and the after effect, the kind of trauma um, of the after effect has really skewed everything. So there's so much listening needs to happen at the moment to try to understand how ready everybody is to move forward, where everybody's very intently listening to each other and paying a lot of attention to energy levels and fatigue and um, not holding people to things that were said previously or promises that were made, but trying to be very kind. I certainly feel that that's my job is just trying very carefully to listen and try to find find that biting point which is different for every, everybody that's interesting that and I think that point you make about giving time that you know not making this madcap rush which must be odd particularly given what you say about I think you know Melbourne had a longer lockdown than any other city in the world and how you know there must be in some ways that rush to get things done because everything's been paused but also that caution about stepping forward and being particularly in, in the public realm again and uh, I mean, I, as you say, I mean, you, your kind listening, that's critical to it as a sort of as your as in terms of practice, in terms of pr projects that you find are working now that might not have worked before the pandemic. Are you seeing are you seeing a very different a difference in the kind of things that are resonating with your audiences now? I think certainly think people are very interested in new ways of doing things. So I think we're we were always going to try to do something new prior, even prior to the pandemic in terms of what's in the landscape in Melbourne and what's, um, you know, testing some different uh, versions of economies or ecologies of how artists work together. But I think people are particularly interested now in, in alternative versions of things. So particularly interested to test what, what can be challenged of the old ways of doing things. If you think of the sort of working from home, the way that has shifted so dramatically. Um, but even I think the way the city centre and the suburbs have shifted, the way that people are, like you say, eager to connect, but hesitant to gather in large numbers. 
there's definitely more of an awareness of the burden of just getting by um, and how much you can ask of people nowadays because you've suddenly seen into everybody's personal lives and got oh look they've got a, a you know a set of twins and a, a grandparent living in the house and <laughs> I can't actually ask them to deliver on deadline ruthlessly and relentlessly yeah. in the way that I used to so I think I think we've yeah there's so much that has moved and 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 that's that is benefit for an organization like us it's so new in that we don't have an old way of doing things that we need to throw away like we didn't really particularly need to pivot because we we hadn't really figured out what direction we were actually going in yet because i mean you'd only been opened a few months before the first lockdown hadn't you yeah yeah we were already delayed so we were delayed by another issue which was to do with planning and sort of longer story about gentrification where we are but um, that already slowed our project down and then um, the pandemic struck and that definitely had an impact on those for that first tenanting of the the precinct and then I arrived in May last year uh, one month after the official opening um, but then we were faced with multiple lockdowns after that so we didn't have really much of a year last year until it's really just been 2022 that you could say we're properly open. Yeah, yeah. Well, tell us about a little bit about that. Not that, not necessarily the backstory, but maybe just your your thoughts on this. That I, I know, you know, walking through a place like Collingwood, you see, you see that rub everywhere between creative community initiatives going on that are, you know, often meanwhile spaces, and then cheek and jowl with some big residential kind of complexes coming in that are brand new and often will have uh empty ground floors with the you know with the hope that something will fill them but of course their rent and their relationship with the community is very different to those organizations that are already there and so i'm interested in in how that might play itself out in collingwood over the next few years i mean what are you what are you seeing and what are your hopes for that relationship between these kind of developments and also these new communities that are coming in yeah it's certainly a very mixed up landscape out there though i think prior to the pandemic melbourne was absolutely booming you know growing at a rate of knots very bullish about uh, new building projects and new population growth and economically robust you know really thriving so the the fact of having that longest lockdown in the world really sort of threw a massive curveball and all of those plans yeah so I think you know you had that crazy combination of all these buildings going up then a, a crisis in construction and then a sort of um, hollowing out of of commerce and and daily life, leading to closed shops and you know just nobody on the streets. So I think that has left this sort of strange, mixed up landscape of of um, even projects that are now starting to go up again. We are just noticing hotels going up suddenly and thinking, well, only you know within the last few months, really, were international visitors even allowed back in. So. You know, some some weird uh, choices being made, but um, obviously not driven by some of those other factors around community coherence or, um, you know, just bigger picture. Um, I think our hope is that that things will settle down. Um, it definitely feels like the community that's 
that exists in places like Collingwood is bruised and battered um, regardless of all of this change. Um, there's a there's a dearth of green spaces is one of the least serviced uh, or least green of the Melbourne inner city suburbs. And that a lot of those spaces that are getting built on were previously you know, used for community gathering. So that's a, an anxiety that everybody feels. Um, and I think some of the, there's a crisis in affordable housing in Melbourne, it's in many places. There's also a crisis in housing affordability um, in, in, um, in terms of rent and um, access to first homes, uh, shrinking of, of public housing. So it's just a lot of um, pernicious um, changes happening um, over time that um, I think yeah. any new project needs to carefully think about. It's interesting that, isn't it? I mean, I, I was talking to a gentleman called Will Chamberlain for a podcast last week who is, he's been running a group called Creative Wick in Hackney Wick in East London. And there, before the Olympics, was arguably the greatest density of artists in the whole of Europe. You know, mm. lots of old print works and warehouses and garages, a place that had been overlooked by developers. And then the Olympics came along and all of a sudden, everybody was looking very differently at these three square miles that were immediately next to what had become, you know, the, the international quarter and was only sort of, you know, a mile and a half away from Stratford International. And one thing they've been trying to do is work out how they can bake in some of these community and cultural uses into the planning guidelines from the very, very beginning. And, you know, very much the things you're doing, how they, you know, how one inspires the local authority to start putting in funding, but also put in some planning guidelines so that not just the one place, but the whole area can benefit from and be, I suppose, yes, have that be commercially astute of course but socially useful for the long term and I wonder what you thought about that in terms of baking in some of what's happening in Collingwood's yards is is there opportunity for that beyond do you think? I think the ability we're just having a chat today with some really fantastic uh, people who work in this space talking about um, getting better at measuring our impact and telling that story about um, how we contribute to community um, it's early days, uh, certainly for Collingwood Yards. It's early days in in that piece, but it, it's it's not as advanced here in Australia, I think, as the UK in in terms of um, telling that story to government. Um, so it, it's starting to happen. Um, we're doing it on a very grassroots level locally. So we're um, I have a bit of a practice of of working in networks, and so I've I've already set up a couple of networks just to service my day-to-day -day work, one with other um, creative space providers, but actually another one with um, creative uh, uh, sites in this particular little local area. So one of them's a theatre, one of them's a photography gallery, one of them's a recording studio, but we're all in the same um, local government conversation. And then the other one's all sharing information about how we um, deal with tenants and creative spaces that's all across the city of Melbourne and that's a that's a practice that I think is quite uh has big big impacts very quickly here because a lot of those connections aren't made so again 
one of the most productive things that's happening for us at Collingwood Yards is speaking to the Polytechnic over the road, which is a big education. That's like a tertiary education site, but they happen to have a massive grant from the Department of Education to refurbish. And they're just sitting over the road. And now we're talking about becoming one campus. But that has a fantastic ripple effect. And if you put the two of us together into conversation with the local government about better bike and pedestrian access, you suddenly get, start to get some traction. Whereas if if we go in independently, we, we're definitely less than the sum of our parts. So I'm looking for more of those um, local um, heavy hitters. And if we can all get ourselves into a bit of a coalition, then we can maybe start to shift the dial a bit on some of this stuff like um, disability transport or pedestrian. You know, some of the streetscape around here is pretty shonky for um, people with access needs. So things like that. I'm looking for some wins. Yeah, well, and, and I think that makes such sense as a coalition learning from one another. And I mean that, do you think that's been supercharged since the pandemic? Is that something that you're seeing? There is more energy, you know, you mentioned more listening and actually people may be getting better at connecting. Do you think the pandemic has helped it, that co cohesion you speak of? Yes, maybe. I don't really, I haven't worked in this sort of context pre-pandemic to know exactly, but I certainly think yeah. that um there's a bit more energy in a in a advocacy, and we've just had in our election a a, a good election result, and in that election, um, an emergence of a really strong independent political uh, voice. We've always had the two parties, a bit like the UK, but you know, very strong dominance of the two parties, and suddenly feeling this third. We've had the Greens, but now we've got the independents as well. And you suddenly feel a bit of a sort of movement in the balance of power. And that really mobilises people to think, oh, yes, we've got our state elections coming up. What are the independents doing in that? Who do I need to lobby? Who do I need to talk to? That does feel a bit more energetic here at the moment and just a bit more yeah. porous. Yeah, yeah. And I guess raising the currency of that independent voice through these coalitions is going to be mm. something that you know, can really help. And, and just in very simple terms, when we speak about the network of you know creative spaces and creative sites, is that as simple as meeting up once a month and talking about what's going on and how you might better work together? Is that what we're imagining here? It is. It's as simple as that. And it's astonishing how helpful that is to say, you know, in the lockdown, <laughs> things like, you know, do I really need a COVID warden on my public space? Is that equivalent to a park or is that equivalent to a, a street or is that equivalent to a venue? You know, even questions like that that were very grey here. There was a lot of that sort of grey area that we could share and go, well, like, eight out of 10 of us are not doing it. So let's say we're not doing it. And um, we we could help each other. We're just talking um, now about a policy bank because, you know, why do we all need to develop our own, um, you know, uh, well, we've got all sorts of things, but, you know, complaints, policies and disability action plans. And, you know, we've all got versions of these things, but some of some of the spaces are, are artist run and, it would be immensely useful for the ones that are run by city government who've got these all state of the art to share those with the artist run collective spaces and, and you know, compare and contrast and go for some really good savings in that way. 
makes it makes perfect sense. It reminds me of um, thinking about you know artisans in medieval times gathering together as a guild. Yeah, and, you know, so much of this, you know, we, we need to inspire you know, that, that independence, but the opportunity of how we might club together to better help each other makes perfect sense. And tell me, I mean, I know you've worked with cultural organisations all over the world. I mean, when you compare what you're doing now in Melbourne with what you did in Berlin and what you learned from that great city. I mean, how, how do the, I mean, it's a hard question, this one, but comparisons, things you've taken. I mean, I always think of Berlin, particularly in the sort of late nineties and early two thousands as, and I walk around and say Col Collingwood and yeah, it's got a similar kind of vibe. Uh, it, do you feel the same? Yeah, it's, um, it's a tricky one because I think it's very hard when you deal with place to translate. So I, I often am going for the things that are different rather than the things that are the same. Um, and I do think I hate to be that expat who's like, oh, well, when I was in Brussels, you know, I d I'm definitely not that person. <laughs> so I try not to do that. I think, um, I mean, artists, I think, think in have similar ways of thinking wherever you are so uh there's definitely the people who i see as the most dynamic and sort of exciting on the scene here are the same kind of animals you would see as the most exciting and dynamic in other places where they live in the ecology is different so here, here they're much more on the margins, feeling marginalized. There, they might be on the margins, but feeling happy to be on the margins. Uh, where the uh, maybe it's to do with where the resources are allocated. I think Melbourne definitely has more of a, an interest in professionalism and um, service and a good experience. Like I think of. Places I used to go in Berlin were kind of grotty and kind of people were a bit rude and nobody cared if I, as an individual, had a good time. Whereas here, yeah. people do care if you, as a visitor or an audience member, have a good time. Like they genuinely care and they want, yeah. you know, they put real effort into that. So that's a huge difference. <laughs> have yeah. a much smoother, and we, easier life. <laughs> we, we touched on that a bit when we were speaking, because I, I'm I'm always very blown away by the uh, the high design standards across Melbourne. You know, whether it's whether it's a coffee shop or whether it's a piece of you know public realm or architecture or whatever it might be. You know, it's there's a care for design, which often you know can isn't necessarily helpful to an artistic community where you know there's because they become certain colorways certain looks certain styles that are the prevailing force and then i suppose that is something that's great to kick against but often i feel that you know when where it's too stylish it often doesn't leave enough room because people are making decisions rather on style rather than content what, what do you make of that rather garbled question no, I know what you're saying. There definitely is. I mean, Collingwood Yards is a very beautiful environment. And I think there's there would be a temptation to fill it with lots of beautiful, even just down to sort of furniture, you know, public furniture, or um, if we run events to make those very schmick and, and delightful. And we're definitely, tr you know, we're trying to keep a a handle on that so that it doesn't become a high bar to entry so we're definitely trying to make it so that 
Um, one of our tenants is the neighbourhood house who mostly operate out of the housing commission nearby. And we don't want them to feel that yeah. they have to have fancy gear or fancy people to come to their events here. So we are trying to um, keep it, uh, yeah, relatively simple. Um, but we do we do get a fair bit of critique about that, actually, of people coming in and going, you know, uh, I'd like to see more, um, yeah, just more sort of uh, recognisable uh, innovation yeah. and sort of use of the space by some of those people, those names that you see in public space doing things in other parts of the city. And we're, we're definitely actively resisting that, but not without a bit of critique. But that's good. That's And as you said, you know, it's it's a live debate. And, uh, yeah. and that's the thing that kind of, you know, makes it interesting and gives you reason to come again and again and again and get involved because it's conversational rather than a broadcast. Yeah, I think good design when it's almost invisible is good design. I think if it becomes obtrusive and certainly if it becomes um, a prerequisite for any new additions to the space. And I think yeah. our I think our designers have been very clever in that. They've spoken to the industrial um, heritage of the space. So the spaces are quite um, austere, but not in a, yeah. you know, in a, in a very um, easy to inter engage with, but they're not they're not plush, they're not uh, luxurious, there's not a veneer to things. So I think we're, we're getting a fair bit of wear and tear and that looks that looks absolutely fine on the place. I like that. No, and I and I suppose when you think about, you know, what's next for Collingwood Yards, then, you know, your relationship with the technical college and how that campus grows, uh, not just grows in terms of space, but grows, I suppose, in terms of, yeah, the, the, the power and the the care of that network is that the critical next step for you what what, what what other things might we if we came back in two years time what, what, what might we find yes I would love I'd love I'd love to see that built they've got a capacity of two and a half thousand people in their building and I think if we could have that ebb and flow of people from our space into their our spaces into theirs and our courtyard actually the way we're talking about designing some of the public space and access components and it would flow right through to streets and blocks right through into another part um, that's getting a bit of treatment from the city that that's creating a parklet that connects through to the housing commission so you can imagine a lovely flow of people right through both campuses and and out and down to the the green space and into the housing commission and if all those people are coming into Collingwood Yards I'll be an extremely happy person. I think that thing about that flow of program and flow of people and flow of places seems, you know, I mean, just looking at your body language here, it feels essential to where things are going. And I really, I, I was fascinated hearing about, you know, those relationships with these wider networks and the time you're giving for discovery, for active listening, for building care and trust amongst the group. And I guess that's why this spirit of a, a sharing economy feels very vivid when one walks around. Uh, I mean, uh, would you, you say if we were to, you know, give, give, yeah, give advice to others looking to reignite city centres and adaptive reuse, you know, places like Collingwood Yards, are those the key things? And, and, and is there a thing, what, 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 what might we turn up to, to kind of pass on, do you think? I think you've summarised it really well. I'd say probably something about the the porousness, like you mentioned, where it's like 
you know, I think this sort of sense of ebb and flow and space, uh, it, it feels very important at the moment to be really open um, to, to actually create enough room for new things to emerge. Um, and that involves yeah. bringing new people in, new ideas in, new um new combinations and new meeting places and collaborations. Yeah. So there's something, I think that's the, this not over-determining everything, I think is probably the yeah. one thing I'd say has been done very well here um, is, yeah. is as a framework, but it's pretty loose what sits within that and that's all to discover and that's a, such a gift in these times. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think the whole spirit of this ebb and flow campus I feel feels exactly right. And so my last thing to you, so you might, can you translate for me, Smick and Shonky, how, <laughs> how might we help people understand what they mean? I mean, I, I, I was in Glasgow for a few years, so I've got some understanding, but help me with those words. <laughs> I can't tell whether I speak Australian or Scottish anymore. I think Schmick is Aussie. I think that's like very posh, it's kind of fancified. Posh. I think it might be. Yep. Um, sort of fancified, kind of zhuzhed up, you know, a bit, yep. but um, it's definitely a bit negative. It's gone too far. And shonky yep. is, the, is, the, is the other end of that spectrum where it's uh, it's falling apart. <laughs> don't don't uh, don't push don't push those things will fall off. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sophie, it's been an absolute delight speaking to you. Thank you so much for sharing, and um, I'm sure listeners will love this. And everybody must visit. It's a special place. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. What a lovely chat. Thank you so much, Adam. Thank you for listening to the Free Thinking Podcast today. Do subscribe so you know when the next episodes are and do leave us a comment so we can get better and better. Thank you and see you soon.